I've been injured enough throughout my life and also like doing enough sports that I've really in the past year been trying to embrace the concept that being injured is just an opportunity to do something else. Hello, I'm Isaiah Newkirk. As a former pro cyclist, fast cat coach, and a curious mind, I've always found myself asking, where is my limit and how do I get there? This is a podcast to explore those questions. We'll share insights from pro athletes, aspiring pros, and coaches across a range of athletic pursuits, all in an attempt to uncover how we unlock our greatest potential as athletes. Welcome to The Training Edge. Last episode, we heard from Corinne Rivera and chatted about the importance of taking both physical and mental in-season breaks. Um, this episode, however, it's my treat to sit down with another amazing female athlete to chat about injury within sport. Um, this is something that almost all athletes experience in one way or the other, and oftentimes the hardest part is letting go of what you love and letting your body heal. Our guest today is Abby Levine a professional trail runner for Adidas who on her website describes herself as average swimmer who grew up riding bikes, turned NCAA division one runner, turned triathlete, turned trail runner. But in that same paragraph, she also says most likely to find me eating peanut butter in the mountains. So gives you good insight into who she is. But that aside, um, give you guys a little bit of her result sheet. She placed fifth at the North face endurance challenge 50 mile this past year in a super stacked field. She has won many a 50Ks as well as a 100K this past year, which she might correct me on, but I believe that was her first one. Um, and she's a multi-time collegiate national champion. So that gives you a little bit of a brief intro. Um, so I'm meeting Abby here in Boulder, Colorado, where both of us live, and to get some insight into how she has handled injury in sport and if she has any words of wisdom to pass along. So welcome, Abby, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Isaiah. It's hard to believe this is a new podcast. You sound like a pro. Oh, dang. Oh, thank you. Um, well, let's do dive right in, I guess. Um, so to start, um, as I kind of mentioned, this is um, a difficult topic for most athletes and something that kind of resonates with most. Um, and I'm going to, you know, right into it. When you think of being injured um, or being injured in sport, what are your first emotions that pop up within that? Like, how do you, how does that make you feel? Mm, this is a really good question since I'm currently dealing with uh, some type of knee injury that's been going on basically since my last 50 mile race in November and I haven't been able to run. So this is very fresh on my mind. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. I think I've been injured enough throughout my life and also like doing enough sports that, I've really in the past year been trying to embrace the concept that being injured is just an opportunity to do something else. Hmm. So I broke my foot in the spring and I was riding my bike a lot that spring and early into the summer and I loved it. I was exploring tons of new trails and roads in Boulder that I'd never been on, gave me tons of new ideas for running routes once I could run again. And I, I genuinely enjoyed, loved riding my bike and sure, I missed running, but I love riding. So just trying to reframe your mindset from 
this sucks, woe is me. Because that's everyone's initial thought, right? When I found out I broke my foot, I cried. And then like the next day or maybe a couple days later, just really trying to flip that mentality of looking at it as a hindrance to an opportunity. I like that. That's a hard one though. Was that, do you feel like the, when you, like for example, when you first broke your foot, do you feel like it was a um, primarily like a, physical pain that bothered you or the emotional was the hardest part definitely the emotional the physical pain is very negligible I (laughs) I think the last run I went on I very stubbornly went on about a six mile run and was just an (laughs) agony every step and that's fine like every athlete can tolerate like severe acute pain but that dull mental pain of having something that you love ripped away from you is definitely a lot more painful. And then also, of course, all the doubts that come with that and blaming yourself for getting injured and thinking about what you could have done differently to prevent getting injured. All of those things really build up, and that's, I think, the hardest thing to deal with. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I guess to start, what injuries have you had? Hmm, I've had a lot of injuries, actually. Um, So... Really, my first big injury was I showed up to freshman year of college. I I ran for Princeton in undergrad, Mm -hmm. and I showed up freshman year for preseason. I ran for one week, and then my knee blew up, and I did not run a single step for the rest of the year. And that was a really frustrating injury, as a lot of soft tissue injuries are, just not knowing what was wrong. And the trainer blamed me for having weak quads it became a really moralizing thing where I internalized that and just felt bad about myself as a person and not to mention the stress of being a freshman in college and trying to make friends and I was in the spin room by myself every day just like cranking it out on the trainer basically oh man (laughs) that was my stress release uh that was that was tough. Um, but then I was, oh, actually, no. Then the next year as a sophomore of college, I was finally healthy, ran cross country. Our team did well at nationals. I, I w- was on the team at nationals. It was super fun. And then immediately after that, I got a stress fracture in my oh, pelvis. Man. So then once again, I was taken out of the sport for the next two seasons, indoor track and outdoor track. But that injury was actually a lot easier to manage because I had a timeline when you break a bone, the doctor says, okay, you have X number of weeks until you're, you're probably healthy again. And there are very clear things that you know what you need to do, primarily rest to let yourself get better. And I think when you have an injury where you know that rest is helpful, or you know, doing this PT is helpful, just having that sense of purpose is, is really beneficial. Okay. So when, um, stepping back a little bit, when you were so like, let's say the first time that you had injury in college, that was freshman year. Like you were, yeah. I'm assuming then you were kind of defined as coming into as an athlete, as a student athlete. And then you had to figure out who you were outside of that. That must've been incredibly difficult. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I was really lucky or fortunate that I, I chose where I went to school, not only because of athletics, I really was there for the academics. Um, and I, so I think it really helped having those other passions. I loved school. I loved trying hard in school. I was involved in some environmental nonprofits. So I really was able to channel my energy and wanting to do productive things into those other outlets. 
Um, but that being said, on the team, I was defined as the injured psycho girl who uh. goes and rides the trainer every day for a long time. Which, <laughs> I mean, in hindsight, it's just funny. Yeah. But still, that would be, that would be something. Um, all right. So within, okay, so now you're coming out of college. So outside yeah. of that, when did, did you have injuries that were chronic did you or did more were new and you know changing as you went through well so then so I ran I kept running in grad school at CU I had some leftover eligibility Mm -hmm. uh, and stayed pretty healthy so they had a really really good training system at CU we were really well supported with doctors and PTs and masseuse everything you could want acupuncturists and then I switched to triathlon and I earned my pro card the first summer that I switched to triathlon and was training as a pro triathlete. And just the nature of that sport, it's incredibly time consuming. However, you're balancing enough different things that I stayed really healthy just because you're not really overdoing it in, in one particular thing. Yeah. So it, it was only once I switched back to running that things start popping up. So I think there's the, the writing is on the wall there <laughs> for myself. How to stay healthy. Do not only do one thing. <laughs> so with so you mentioned your support system at CU. What was the difference there within, I guess, Princeton to CU? What were the support that really changed that? So it healthy? was actually a night and day difference. Really? Um, yeah, the trainers at Princeton were really overworked. The, our trainer for the women's cross country and track team was also the men's basketball trainer. And they kind of were, you know, had a higher status, I guess, Mm -hmm. amongst the trainers anyway. And so they got most of our trainers attention. Um, and so it was hard to get treatment. We didn't get any financial support at Princeton for injuries. Uh, and if you compare that to CU, they paid for everything. I had my knee flared up one day at CU and got a free MRI, free, you know, access to doctors. Everything was paid for, including having the acupuncturists come and work on us, having the masseuse, having these PTs who were devoted just to our team. And all of those preventative treatments were really the most important things, just having that really solid network of people that were always there to work on us when we needed it. Wow. Was that all um, post-injury? Or you mentioned preventative, so like were your coaches telling you to go – see them early on before any of this happened? Well, so the thing about running is things are always popping up. Every day, pretty much, you have some little niggle, especially when you're pushing yourself as hard as you can at that that elite level. So basically every day, everyone on the team would go in and get ultrasound for something or go use the Normatec boots or use the, the contrast bath or simply just rolling out, whatever the case may be, we were always trying to be on top of things and preventing things before they blew up. Man. Well, I mean, that's fascinating. What the, I guess, what were your tricks and tools that really called to you? Because a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, find certain thing that really jive with their body, whether that's yoga and that really keeps them loose or if they need to do, yeah, Normatec boots or if they need to have a massage or what were the things that really like worked with you? So I think to preface this, I think a lot of it is mental. Yeah. We had some kids on the team that were obsessed with the cold bath and mm-hmm. I personally hate getting in cold water. And I remember the coach telling me one day, oh, well, that's bullshit. You don't need to do that anyway. And so I was like, great, I'm never going to do that. But that being (laughs) said, I did find I was really diligent about rolling out using a foam roller. 
I am a huge believer in body work, seeing somebody who can do like deep tissue work on a weekly basis, if you're lucky enough more than that. Um, That is huge for preventing the type of soft tissue injuries that tend to be my Achilles heel. Not my literal Achilles heel. (laughs) Knock on wood, I've never had that problem. So yeah, I mean, I think massage is huge. You have a lot of people that think of massage as a like treatment or not treatment, sorry, a treat mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I just did a really hard workout. I'm going to get this massage here when it's actually, you know, the benefits that you truly get out of deep tissue is actually, you know, across a longevity and across a widespread of time. Totally. Yeah, it's true. We do, we view massage as something you get at a spa yeah. when you're on vacation, but I've just found from experience that I would way rather pay that 60 or whatever dollars a week to prevent that the injury that's going to cost me a thousand dollars in an MRI. Yeah. Not to mention being out of what I love to do for yeah. months. Yeah. Oh man. Um, and then, so I guess within that same realm, um, when you were in Princeton, if you were able to go back, would you, what would you change? Would you tell your younger self to do anything differently? You know, that's really hard. It's really easy now to look back at that knee injury freshman year and say, well, it was obviously your IT band. You should have been doing X, Y, and Z. But I just genuinely didn't know. And I think there are a lot of injuries like that that pop up. And it takes a really long time to figure out what's wrong with you. And in that case, it actually took me going back to New Hampshire, where, where I'm from, seeing a PT there over Christmas. And then I finally started making progress. So I felt like I had wasted all of this time. And I think that's a really common occurrence Mm -hmm. and really one of the most frustrating things about being injured. And I'm actually dealing with a really similar knee injury right now. And I, when it first happened, I was like, well, I went through this freshman year of college. I've learned my lesson. And I immediately blew tons of money getting acupuncture and cupping and seeing my bodywork person and someone else who puts me back in alignment. I, it was just, I was getting multiple treatments a week and nothing was really helping. And fast forward what's been, what, four months and I've seen my primary care doctor, two different PTs, and I'm still injured. And it was actually just today I was talking with a PT in Boston who I saw over Christmas who had this kind of light bulb moment where he thinks he's maybe figured out what's wrong wrong with my knee. And once again, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've wasted all this time. I've done all these things. It's like, you're just like shooting darts into the dark and you don't know where the target is. And I think that I'm still trying to figure out how to just accept that process. And it is just part yeah. of the injury process. And you just, I mean, you don't really have a choice. Yeah. You just have to accept it and it's okay. Yeah. I think not having answers is horrible. It is because I think until you have an answer or until you tell yourself that this is not something I can push through that it, yeah, you're just in the dark and feels awful. Yeah, totally. And, and it's almost this paradoxical thing um, because I, I think there is a mind body connection. And if you're really stressed about your injury, you're probably going to hold on to that stress and it's going to be harder for your body to heal. Yeah. And not knowing what's wrong is obviously stressful. So how do you overcome that and, and just accept it and relax into it? I'm still, I'm still working on it. Yeah. It's, (laughs) I think we all are. I've just had athletes this week that I was kind of working through with, um, knee issues. And, um, one of them I was really proud of because he, 
came back and said, um, you know, I had a couple days to think about this and, um, you know, I've been through this before and I know that I, I, the fitness comes back and it returns and it's not like all that work that you just did is for not like that will be better next time. Um, but that's difficult and that's really difficult. And you're kind of like always in this, um, limbo of like, well, can I get back to my old self? Like, is this going to be me for the rest of my life? And it's, yeah, it's hard not to think that. Totally. I, I've definitely been there where I felt like, well, that's it. I'm never going to regain where I was. And every time you do eventually get back there and maybe this is something you have to learn from experience, but through my experience, I've actually learned that every injury it presents an opportunity for your body to get better at something. If you have to take time completely off and not train in any capacity, your body probably needs that time to rest and recover and recharge. And you will often see a huge performance benefit after you start training again because you've like rejuvenated yourself. Yeah. And in the case of the summer when I broke my foot and I was biking a lot, that was the fittest I've been in years was just from pure biking because you can bike so much longer than you can run. And I had a really good season after that. Once I started running again, I did this 100K that took like 14 hours because it was at altitude in the mountains. And I think that would have been really hard to prepare for if I'd only been running because you can only run for so long. But just having those big days at altitude on the bike really was helpful. And so with this injury this winter, I've been doing a lot of uphill skiing and Nordic skiing and riding the trainer and I I feel really fit and I don't, it's like it kind of just magically happened. So I, I'm not that stressed about when I return to running. It's right now, it's just more the stress of, okay, will I ever return to running, which I obviously will, but yeah. So, um, I guess this stems into a good question. How did you find um, your, I guess, like what you can do with an injury or Mm. what you're passionate about or, um, like, all right, I can't run, but I'm going to do this and it's going to help me this way, or maybe won't bother my injury this way. Totally. I think it's really case dependent. Yeah. And so in the case of my broken foot, what can I do that does not hurt my foot? Because if I'm hurting my foot, it's not going to heal. Right. And the first week or two, everything hurt my foot, so I just didn't do anything. And then it felt good enough to ride my bike, so I just rode my bike a lot. And it would have been fine swimming, but I'm honestly, I'm really burnt out on swimming <laughs> after growing up as a competitive swimmer and then swimming a lot as a triathlete. And that just wasn't going to make me happy. And if what's I mean this is really my guiding rule do not do anything that makes you unhappy it should not feel like punishment you know as I said earlier I really try to view injuries as opportunities and they're opportunities to have fun and enjoy your your life this is your life you're living today and so if I don't like swimming I'm not going to go swim because I'm not going to have fun doing that and so in the case of this knee injury it's been a little bit more tricky than the foot because my pain has just come and gone so much. So some days biking feels okay. Sometimes skiing hurts, but biking hurts more. It's kind of all over the place. So it's really just taking it day by day. Okay, fair enough. But I've also found that rest hurts the most. So it's, (laughs) yeah. So I guess like mentally then, do you think that one of the hardest things about being injured is just that forced rest? making yourself get through that yes almost in every case sometimes you'll get hurt and you're so 
overtrained and broken down yeah. that you're actually really grateful for that opportunity once you kind of lean into it. But most of the time, pure rest is really, really hard. Hmm. Yeah, I think that all of us are, if we like doing endurance sports, we, we're probably a little bit type A and like to get after it. And yep. it's really hard to not do that. Yeah. Um, so you kind of mentioned it a second ago, but I wanted to quote your Instagram post today. Um, so quote, um, unsolicited injury thoughts. Um, and then she also has in parentheses, since I deal with mine perfectly, obvi. Um, that was sarcasm. (laughs) Um, to continue the quote, I find it empowering to let go of my sport as this precious thing. Other activities are not cross training. They are simply training, adventuring, therapy, living it, crushing it for climate, hashtag. Um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. How are they serving me today? So um, I love this. I thought this was amazing and, it, and obviously very perfect for this podcast. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I find it so um, intriguing that it's really difficult for athletes to see, to not just see their sport as um, either A, their job, um, whether or not they're professional or not. Um or as this thing that they just need to do. Um, and then when you get injured, that goes away. And then you have all these different things that you're confined by within the sport, either whether or not that's like what you're defined by or what you feel like you need to do. And then, um, you essentially have to find other things to fill your life with. And, um, yeah, the concept of cross training or the concept of, um, doing things to feed that other thing, um, can, you know, sometimes be, kind of unhealthy and i think this is really amazing light into living life and how to do that best and I, i'm interested to hear a little bit more i know you've already touched on this but like to dive a little bit more into this yeah awesome this is something that i've been thinking about a lot recently so i'm excited to talk about it okay, great. um i think i don't know i'm assuming cycling is pretty similar to running where people identify as a cyclist or they identify as a runner or a swimmer or whatever the smart the sport may be So when that's taken away from you, you view everything else as this thing that you're doing for your sport using specifically the term cross training. I, I, this is, you know, when you're injured, you tend to notice other people who are injured. And so I've just noticed a lot of talk recently about the term cross training and how people hate cross training. I'm bad at cross training. I don't want to cross train why is it cross-training? It's still doing something that's amazing and wonderful and just as quote-unquote precious as your sport is. And in some ways, if you take a step back, it's a little bit arbitrary how we even get into the sport that we've chosen to do. I think almost everybody could be happy doing any number of sports. And so if you can't do this one sport you've chosen to do, that's an opportunity to explore and do something different. And it's not only about the sport that you're doing in that time. It's about what is it, how is it benefiting you in your life? Why are you actually doing it? And in my case, I just really love being outside. And so that time outside soaking in the sun or the snow or whatever the conditions may be, that's therapeutic to me. And that's what brings me joy and happiness. And I can get that same immersion in nature, skiing or cycling or walking, sitting outside as I do running. And so reframing your mindset to what are the benefits I'm getting versus how am I getting them, I think just is really empowering. And 
the same thing I also am really passionate about connecting what I'm doing to something greater than myself because I suffer from a lot of existential angst about being this selfish endurance athlete who's spending all of this time doing this kind of narcissistic thing that is bringing me a lot of happiness but how is that connecting to the world around me and in this case uh this winter this nonprofit I'm involved with called Protect Our Winters has this challenge on Strava that everyone can go join called hashtag crush it for climate with the number four. And it's the challenge is really simple. It's just to get outside for eight hours in the month of March. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go do that. It doesn't really matter how I get outside, but that was motivating to me to connect my activity to hundreds of thousands of people also getting outside to raise awareness for climate change. I should mention that Protect Our Winters is a nonprofit that wants to turn everyone into into climate activists. If you love being outside, if you love breathing, if you love to be on the trails or on the roads or whatever the case may be, then you love our planet and you're passionate about preventing climate change. Hmm. Um, And so also uh, connected to that, this past weekend was this amazing event called Running Up for Air, which it's really stupid. People were running nine-mile loops around this park in Staunton, Colorado. Oh, you could man. do it for three hours, six hours, 12 hours, or 24 hours. And it was icy and miserable, but like super awesome. And it was to raise money and awareness for our, our poor air quality in the greater Denver area. And the, a lot of the money went to protect our winters. So I've been looking forward to this event for months, right? Like this is something I'm really passionate about. And it hit me about a couple of weeks ago. Of like I'm not going to be able to do running up for air. And that made me really sad uh, just to have the combination of, okay, this thing I connect my running to this greater sense of purpose, that's being taken away from me. Running is already taken away from me. Like that's pretty disempowering. Mm-hmm. So I decided I'm just going to go up for air in a different sport. So I scoofed, i.e. skied up for air with my friend in Winter Park. We did laps up and down the resort of Winter Park uh, on our uphill uh, ski setup. And that it was such a fun day. And I would not, I'm bummed I wasn't at running up for air, but I wouldn't have traded in that experience for anything. That was genuinely one of the most fun days of my life. We just got super bonky and had people yelling at us that we were going the wrong way and other people giving us encouragement. (laughs) And then we ate fries at the top of Winter Park when we were done and and just enjoyed the mountains around us. And it was a great day. That's amazing. Anyway, that was a very long-winded answer. No, that's 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 phenomenal. That was on my list of things to talk (laughs) about. So that was perfect. Um, Great segue. Uh, So awesome. You give purpose to your sport, which is something that I've seen a lot of and something I struggled with for sure. Or purpose Um, just to the activity of, or the concept of being an athlete and getting outside, you know, trying to disassociate it from just this singular sport. Yeah. 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 I've been, um, one of the things I actually talked about in the last podcast was the concept of, you know, if you're basically not doing your sport, you should be sitting down or lying down. And that's such Mm. a hard thing. Um, and you know, something that I'm glad to have uh, a fresh insight into basically doing the opposite, um, which, and you can still perform well, um, which is great. Um, So within not cross training um, Mm. and doing things for life, 
um, and just doing things to be outside and to um, find fun things when you're not able to do the thing that you're set out in life at this current moment to do. Yeah. Um, so I know that you've been basically participating in sport for a long time, like since you were a kid, right? And that you've done, you know, seemingly everything from like rowing to triathlons <laughs> to all sorts of crazy I'm stuff. I'm really impressed that you knew I did a little bit of rowing. <laughs> that's that's impressive sleuthing. <laughs> yeah. um, I try. Um, but you recently have been um, very obviously through your socials doing a ton of skiing. Um, so I guess I'm why skiing and what what is that doing for you? And, um, and then I would also like to talk about... Um, the most recent like schemo race you did, but awesome. why skiing? Let's start with that. Well, so I grew up skiing, downhill skiing in Vermont. I'm from New Hampshire and my family went to Vermont every weekend to ski. And I think they put me on skis when I was two and a half. Wow. So it's, it's something that just has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. And I just genuinely love winter. It is my undeniably my favorite season. I love snow. I love winter wonderland it just feels so mystical and magical and it just gives me this sense of anything is possible for some reason it, the world is transformed into this, this glittering orb where you can just go adventure and skiing gives you that sense of freedom and flying that kind of is connected to that and I so I gave up skiing when I got really serious about swimming growing up and then I didn't really ski in high school or college when I was running, mostly because our coaches forbid us from skiing because of the, you know, the risk of injury. And I, so once I was finally done actually being a triathlete, I realized that no one was stopping me from skiing anymore. And I started having dreams about it. Like I just really wanted to get back on snow. And sure enough, I, so I got back into skiing mostly through uphill skiing. So if people aren't familiar, there's this thing called ski mountaineering. It's basically backcountry skiing. They're all basically the same thing where you put these skins on the bottom of your skis so you can walk uphill and then you rip them down so you can ski downhill and your skis have edges. So they're it's like normal downhill skiing, but you're using human powered movement to get up the hill. I also love Nordic skiing though. And both Nordic skiing, well, really Nordic skiing, uphill skiing, and downhill skiing just give me that sense of, as I said, of freedom and possibility and just sheer joy. It's like being a kid again. I just, I really love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, it's been inspirational to watch. So the, within, I guess, like ski mountaineering then, is that, is it the, um, the freedom of it all, or is it the, mm. cause like Nordic is very much confined, right? Like you're stuck to a track. It's usually needing to be groomed, not always, but like that helps obviously. And then, um, compared to backcountry or, um, schema racing, like that's, you're free. Like you can pretty much go anywhere that has to know what's the, what's the draw. So, okay, I'll give you the draw for both Nordic and for uh, Skimo. For Nordic skiing, I'm just obsessed with trees. I think that they just emit these. Well, actually, there's studies that show like forest bathing in Japan is a thing where people go and just sit in nature because trees give off these like photochemicals or something that that give us these healing healing powers. And with Nordic skiing, you're as you, as you said, you're on this trail usually that's winding through forests. And I just love being close to, to trees like that. It's why I love trail running. I just love being in, in the forest. 
And with with Schemo, it's just this beautiful marriage of pure suffering on the uphill if you're racing. It's kind of like riding the trainer and just doing all-out sprints. You have nothing stopping you from going as hard as you can. You don't have to worry about crashing or coming to a red light or whatever the case may be. You can just kill yourself on the uphill. And there's something really satisfying about that. And then the downhill, well, the downhill, it really depends if you're on a groomed trail to ski resort or if you're in the backcountry and navigating trees. But either way, they have these challenges that are really fun or just pure joy of going really, really fast, kind of like riding your bike downhill. Yeah, I mean, I get both. I've uh, dabbled in both, but I am not good at both. So. Next winter <laughs> yeah. is your winter. I'm going to drag you to all of our <laughs> Wednesday night schema races in up at Aldora, which is actually the community is another one of my favorite yeah, components amazing. about pretty much any endurance sport, but Schemo is right there with them. Yeah. Every Wednesday night, there are these races at our local hill where you can either do the Schemo race or the snowshoeing, oh, cool. Nordic ski, downhill, and it is hilarious to see all of these people. It's dark. The races start at 6 p.m., so it's pitch black. It's usually really cold, maybe windy, and there are like a hundred people in their little schemo lycra suits <laughs> with their headlamps on ready to crush it after a full day of work and i just there's just something so stupid about it i just love it it's great it <laughs> uh, does sound amazing that's um is it so is it do you think it's like a good cross between the trail running world like do you think it's a lot of those similar people i do know a couple cyclists that do it but um, yeah, it brings well. out all of the endurance nuts. Yeah. <laughs> a good, a good uh, cross section, yeah. including a lot of runners. Um, but I just think it's a great way to embrace winter, and that's a great way not to get injured. Speaking of injuries, in the past couple of winters, I've I've had that mentality of, oh, I'm a runner, I need to run all winter and get ready for this race because I signed up for a 50k in March, and. I, I guess it was really last winter that I said, no, I, why not embrace the elements that mother nature are giving us? Like this is a wonderful opportunity to do something different and not get hurt running and slipping on ice. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that was my next question. So what do you think that skiing has done for your, um, recovery from injury? Well, we'll see. Okay. Since I'm still getting over this injury. Yeah, that's a good point. If I can tell you that I know already that it has completely transformed my mindset from one of being bummed and feeling like I'm missing out to one of feeling like I've been given this amazing opportunity. I This is really the first winter that I've done any racing, schema racing, because every other year I've been doing running races throughout the winter and early spring and not having that op- that opportunity this year like great I'm going to sign up for every schema race that I can and I found out that I love schema racing so then you go through that kind of existential questioning of okay well I guess maybe I'm not just a runner which I never really only looked at myself as a runner but my sponsor definitely has right like well I'm also a ski mountaineer racer and maybe I'll do some gravel racing this spring and (laughs) you know it's like you don't have to these limits that we put on ourselves are completely of our own doing and you also notice once you enter a different sport in a competitive way no one cares yeah 
No one cares about my running racing. No one cares about schema racing or cycling racing. It's all just for our own enjoyment and fun and finding purpose in life. And so really the only thing stopping you from trying these different things is yourself. Yeah. I think it's hard for especially, I mean, maybe, I guess just athletes in general to step away from their own sport where they've spent a lot of time honing their craft and trying to be really good at it and being the best they can. And maybe even they have a reputation of being very good at it. And then all of a sudden they enter this new world where, you know, they're maybe not so good at it and they have to live with that and be open to that. And I think when you let, just like letting go of injury, um, if you let go of that, you know, basically just confinement of being, having to be good. Like you can all of a sudden have a new level of fun and just kind of, you know, enjoy it until you can go back to your other sport where you're, you want to be focused again. Totally. I've loved being a beginner at (laughs) at things. It is so fun. And as you said, it's so freeing. You don't have your own self expectations that you've placed on yourself, that pressure. You don't have the external pressure. You can just learn and you learn really quickly generally, which is really fun too. You see really noticeable improvement. I, I've been Nordic skiing pretty much my whole life, but no one really taught me how to do it. And so finally this winter I said, okay, this is the winter that I'm going to actually learn how to do this correctly. And I've gotten so much better at it. And it's just been so fun to, to feel that improvement. That's, that's all right. That's inspiration for me to get (laughs) slightly better someday. You're Um, getting better. I see your Strava. uh, (laughs) Um, so the, so recently you did a team schema race. So I want to hear about that. I want to know even what the concept of that is to give a little bit of like an epic story for the listeners. Yeah. So two weekends ago I raced the power of four, which is, it's in Aspen, well, Snowmass in Aspen. And it's kind of the, they call it the Super Bowl of ski mountaineer races in the U.S. Ski mountaineering is really, really big in Europe and there are a lot of races and it's very popular. Kind of really equivalent to cycling, how cycling's really big in Europe and not quite as big here. I would say ski mountaineering is kind of in that similar boat right now. But anyway, the Power of Four is the biggest race in the U.S. And it starts in Snowmass and it goes up to the very top of Snowmass off the back, so off-piste, onto like a single-track trail, basically. And then from there, it goes up and down the four mountains of Aspen. So Snowmass, Buttermilk, Highlands, and Aspen. And about half of it is off-trail, half of it is on-trail. It's very, very technical, even more so than I had been warned. So that was a really fun challenge. I, I So I did it with my boyfriend, Kyle, who's a professional runner, and he's a very, very strong athlete. And we were doing the mixed team category. So you're allowed to tow people in this race. Oh, man. So <laughs> from the very beginning, he was towing me up the mountain, That's up Snowmass. So the race starts just before sunrise. And the first uphill is about an hour. We were the first mixed team to the top. So I was very proud of Kyle and his towing abilities. I was <laughs> I was trying for the record. I was trying as hard as I'm I sure could. You're adding quite a bit. <laughs> but he's just, he's very strong. So yeah. we get we get to the top and immediately it was like the most heads up downhill skiing I've done all year. Wind slabby rocks poking up everywhere, really steep. It's like seven AM and you're still waking up. And and then in, from there, it goes immediately into a single track trail with rocks and roots and trees. And so we got passed by two 
co-ed teams on that descent. It's like, oh my gosh, these people are freaks. Like this is next level. But that was such a great, it was just so eye-opening, eye-opening to me. Wow. This is a sport where you can really hone your craft yeah. and you can get a lot better if you put in the time. So we ended up uh, the third co-ed team. So we got to be on the podium, which is pretty fun nice. for our both nice. of our first uh, big schema races. But it was just such a fun day. Kyle was super encouraging the whole day. I kind of felt like this, it was either going to go one of two ways. It was either going to be a really positive experience for us or a really negative experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty testing as a relationship. I know, like, I know. That's a lot. <laughs> but it was very positive. Okay, good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Kyle was super encouraging the whole day. I started bonking out of my mind. The last climb just went on forever. Midnight mine, it was like six miles of just this gradual uphill. And you can see the top of Aspen way in the distance. And you're not going up a steep enough climb. to You just know it's going to take a long time. Yeah. And sure enough, it took a long time. And it was warm and I was bonking. Uh, but it was so great. Just being back in that feeling of suffering <laughs> that I hadn't been in since my last running race. And just having that reminder, hey, I can still get to this same kind of cathartic pain in other ways other than running. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's amazing because that's something I think that even people that are kind of retiring from sports really struggle with because that's such an amazing feeling to be just digging so deep um, that you wonder if you can ever get that again. And that's, that's awesome that you've been able to find that in other sports as well. Um, Damn, man, what an extra year. So, um, (laughs) <laughs> what are your finalized statistics of that? So one, yeah. the peaks of those mountains, what were the, yeah. what was the height of those peaks? Well, so the whole race had over 11,000 feet of climbing. So I think it went up to about 11,000 feet high right. in the sky. Uh, the climbs were, I guess there were four climbs. So a co- two of them were about, I don't know, 4,000 feet maybe each. The other two are a little smaller. Okay. I'm just making That's, this up. But. Uh, yeah, I, either way, epic. Um, how long was the race? Then? So it took us about six and six wow. hours and 40 minutes. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I think I'll, um, I'll leave that to you guys personally. <laughs> it's great. It's so fun. And I mean, the downhills only got more hilarious from really? there. There's this one downhill <laughs> called the Congo Trail, which is about great name. three feet wide. Oh, I'm not exaggerating. You kind of have to like half pizza down it because it's just like <laughs> this twisty, turny roller coaster. And people's stories from that afterwards were, were the best part of the day. It was hilarious. It's like turning on Nordic skis where you like have to kind of tiptoe. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, anyways. Okay. Awesome story. Um, so... Strength training. I wanted to talk to you about strength training because that's something we get a lot of questions about. And um, I think that is a good key to injury prevention and being well balanced. Um, And yeah, I guess I wanted to hear what you do with that. Yeah, totally. I'm a huge proponent of strength training. I work with this amazing guy named Chris Lee in Boulder. And basically, because I had this wake-up call that I needed to, I was having piriformis pain, like basically butt pain. And at the time, I wasn't really doing any strength training. I was done with triathlon. I didn't – I hate – I honestly hate strength training, doing it by myself. I have no motivation. I'd way rather go do another endurance activity than go to the gym by myself and try to – pretend that I know what I'm doing lifting weights uh but this pain in my butt was just really a pain in the butt 
And, nice. <laughs> and so I finally was like, okay, I need to do something about this. And Chris is a friend of mine, and he was like, I really think I can help you. Cool. And he and a good friend of mine, she was dealing with the same thing. He started working with both of us and really helped getting get rid of that pain just through do, strengthening our weaknesses. Wow. So I love having someone yell at me for an hour or twice a week to tell me what to do. That's <laughs> okay. really helpful. So um, I guess like what, when you started doing strength training, what injury, I guess, yeah. really pushed you to do that? And then um, I guess just for example purposes, um, what was the, I guess like what was the solution? So it was the piriformis pain. But I, I should mention that I was doing strength training in college with my team right. and in grad school, but it was never that specific. Mm -hmm. We were kind of just told to go in the weight room and throw some weights around, mm -hmm. and maybe someone would show us some exercises once, and then we were supposed to do it on our own. Yeah. And I am just not talented enough to do an exercise properly with the correct form unless someone really beats it into my skull on how to do it. So when I started working with Chris for my piriformis pain, just having him there to kind of baby me through it. And at first I was doing really basic, just PT stuff, basically, yeah. just body weight stuff. And so having him to both push me, but also to hold me back and not lift too much weight at once, having him there to give me the cues of the correct body form. It was a lot of hamstring strengthening, glutes, quads, just hips, very basic lower leg stuff. Mm -hmm. But then also, he's been great helping me work on my terrible posture. <laughs> great. Just, you know, any type of problem I may have. Yeah. I think that, like, one thing that's been interesting um, that I hope is slightly shifting is, especially within certain disciplines, I think I can speak for running and cycling here, but basically athletes will do their sport. And then, you know, lately it's been, oh, I should do um, – especially within cycling, I should do a weight program to boost my strength and I should mm. boost, it'll boost my power and it'll boost my ability. Mm -hmm. But, um, in order to have balance, um, be correctly balanced, have the right form, have the right muscle groups targeting, because even if you're doing a strength-based program, it might be something that, you know, targets your glutes, but you might already be activating your glute. Or if you're right. a classic cyclist, you won't be. And exactly. then like, but you might be needing to build something else. You might be needing to build back muscles or something like that. So that's when just like having your cycling or running coach you might need an actual you know strength coach i i totally agree just purely because i think a lot of us limit the definition of strength too narrowly we think of it as okay can i lift more weight well really that's not as an endurance athlete you want to be as you said well-rounded and really the biggest issue you can have are in imbalances and most of us do have imbalances so having someone there to correct those imbalances and do things like activate your glutes you wouldn't even know that you were missing them yeah. until someone tells you yeah, yeah it's hard to figure those things out on yeah. your own I, i'm curious what your opinion then is because you know skiing is a great example like you go ski and you feel a muscle that you never knew you had yeah. and then um yeah i mean like adding in variety and adding in different things to awake those muscles um, very rarely is that going to be so far right that it's going to just be a deficit or be something that takes away from other muscle groups, unless you're just obviously giving too much time to that particular sport over another, um, depending on your goals. So. Yeah, I think I think if I'm 
reading your question correctly, I think that doing various things is so beneficial to you as an athlete to just strengthen your body holistically. Mm-hmm. As cyclists and runners, most endurance sports were in that that plane of just going forward and you you actually are hurting yourself by not moving side to side. Yeah. And cycling and running both deal with knee injuries where because you have weak hips, your legs are caving in and you're getting injured. And if you go Nordic ski, you'll strengthen those side muscles. Or if you're ice skate or whatever whatever thing you like to do for fun, yeah. play soccer. Yeah, I mean, it's like comes down to... <laughs> I think, I guess in cycling, it's a weight thing. It's like, I don't want to build that muscle because that'll add weight to my body. Mm. Um, and I guess if you're, you know, doing bench presses every day, like that might be an example, but like, but you would never do bench presses as a cyclist. Be smart about it. (laughs) I think that you actually can lose weight as an endurance athlete. If, if you're strength training and that's something that you're interested in doing, I'm not advocating that everyone go try to strength train and lose (laughs) weight, (laughs) but you definitely do not need to gain weight. And if you are gaining any weight, it's making you stronger and faster. You're not going to become Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry. uh, Yeah. That was my dream. Um, so I guess my next question for you, um, and, I've heard the story of you running a race through a broken wrist. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question for you is, and I, I have a story to go along with that, but yes. um, have you pushed through an injury? Is that something you've done before? Way too many injuries. That's a lesson that you learn way more than once, unfortunately. Uh, I, yeah, so I broke my race. I broke my race. I broke my wrist in my first 50k or maybe it was my second 50k trail running race but that's the type of injury that's so easy to run through you don't need your arm right like if anything that was a nice distraction from the pain I was in running but the more the more insidious insidious types of things that I've run through or trained through have been stress fractures I've I've run through two stress fractures until they hurt too much and then I really had to, you know, face the music that I was injured. Uh, this knee injury, I really feel like I I caught it quickly, but it was still, I ran on it probably four times. And I'm now kind of beating myself up. What if I hadn't run on it that third and fourth time? How much time would have I, would I have saved? And the the positive thing is that even if you have to relearn this lesson more than once, you do learn it somewhat. And once it happens, the next time you'll probably be smarter. But the adage that, you know, an extra day off is worth, you know, the saving yourself the five months off is it's really true. I just made that up, but I think it's a good adage. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, it's I think even just within learning to learn your body yeah. is huge. And it's super hard. I mean, it's why I've always said this. It's why coaches don't coach themselves. It's they. It's really hard to know your body and to be non like subjective about it and and really think, you know, the right path. And it's really difficult, for sure. But then related to that, I think another really big issue is this this fear we have of being weak, and so that that operates in two ways. One is running or cycling or whatever, going through something pushing through it because you don't want to admit weakness, but then also not communicating to your coach that something's bothering you because you don't want them to think that you're weak or you're afraid that 
this is something that I've definitely done where I'm like, oh, well, this is kind of bothering me, but I don't want to tell my coach because he's going to tell me to take a week off. Yep. That has <laughs> never been the right answer. Yeah. It is always worth communicating. And I think reframing that from weakness to, to intelligence, like, no, if I don't, if I run through this, that's stupid. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I, I need... <laughs> Hopefully all my athletes listen to this. I've definitely had athletes in the past not tell me because they're afraid that I'm going to tell them not to ride. So, well, and that's, it's tough, right? I think it just comes down to building that trust with it, with your coach and with your athlete. And that just, it takes time and it's hard. And and maybe it does take you going through that a couple of times of making the mistake of not, of your athlete, not telling you. And then they realize, oh, well, if I had told Isaiah, then I might not be injured right now. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. But that's like kind of the beauty <laughs> of sports, right? Like they're they're kind of this parallel to the rest of our lives and like this fun playground where we can make mistakes and <laughs> yeah. the consequences are generally yeah. pretty low. Yeah. And that's a great lesson of just learning to communicate and to and to build trust. And this is a better way to do that than like messing up your marriage or something. I don't know. Oh, uh, well put. Well put. <laughs> um, okay, so my said I had a story. So my story is, um, actually one of the only bones I've broken in cycling is my wrist. And I did it in the middle of a crit and, um, and had to finish the crit, but Uh, I had to finish like a 60 minute crit and you had to finish a, but you were on a bike. That's so much worse. You have to hold the handlebar. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was interesting. Oh, Um, you finished the race. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is so impressive. I was young and my dad was there. So I was Oh man, I think I was 16, maybe 17. Um, and my dad was there and I just, every laugh was like waving oh. my wrist at him. And I don't even know why I was doing that. Oh. I think I was just like wanting pity or something. I don't know, but yeah, it was interesting. Wow. <laughs> um, okay. So I guess, um, to kind of close out, what are you injured? You mentioned you're injured right now. What's your, um, recovery path? What are your goals? What are you looking and hoping to do? Well, I think the first thing that I've learned to do is to not set any timelines for myself because that can just be really depressing. I, for example, the running up for air event that I really wanted to do, I had put that on my calendar. I'd signed up for it. And then not being able to do it was such a letdown that I don't have, I literally have nothing on my schedule right now, excluding some uh, sponsor races that I'm supposed to do, but I think they'll be canceled anyway because of the coronavirus. So I've honestly, I, the coronavirus is, it's awful and very scary, but in terms of my selfishly, my own uh, season, it hasn't been the worst thing in the world. And, Mm. and maybe, and I think that will not only be true for me, but probably a lot of people We're all kind of in this hamster wheel of, just racing every year and doing the same thing every year. And every spring you sign up for these things and you do these races and you're missing out on so many other things in life. And I'm actually supposed to be in the Canary Islands right now for a training camp and it got canceled because of the coronavirus. And I realized that this sounds a little bit uh, maybe pretentious or that's the wrong word. Um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but... I am so happy to not be in the Canary Islands this spring. This will be the third year that I've gone in there. It's amazing. It's wonderful. I am so blessed and grateful for that opportunity. 
but it's really nice to be in Colorado and get to experience March. Yeah. I haven't been here for a March in so long and to see my friends and do these schema races that I wouldn't have been able to do, that's such a gift. And so even something like that, those variables that we can't control, how can we flip that and find find the upside of that and also find the controllables within that? Because yeah. I think a lot of our mental health comes down to finding things we can control. Yeah, which is really difficult in sport because a lot is out of our own control. Totally. Yeah. Well, and so actually, sorry, to go back to your yeah, question, yeah, yeah. Of my timeline, I'm just really trying to focus on the controllables. While I'm loving biking and skiing, I obviously want to get healthy and really miss running. And so just being really diligent with my PT and also being really diligent about trying to seek answers. With this type of injury, you just, as I said, you're throwing darts at the wall. So part of, I feel like the onus is on me to keep throwing those darts. So uh, Speaking with the PT today in Boston, just trying to learn, not obsess about it, but just really trying to do my due diligence of figuring out what's wrong. I'll probably get an MRI this week. I just feel like that's, you know, part of, that's part of the process. So that's something I can control. I can go show up to my MRI. Yeah. I Good. <laughs> I hope you stick to it and I hope that it plays out in a perfectly. I really do. Well, um, oh, actually, I, I want to add something really quickly about that. Yeah. I have been in this fight with my, not really a fake fight, with my coach for a while about getting an MRI because <laughs> I just didn't want to pay for it. They're so expensive and my health insurance is terrible. And I just stumbled across this thing called Spot. Have you heard of this? No, the other I haven't. Day? I haven't. It's basically a gap insurance and they really target athletes. So you pay about $20 a month and they'll... They'll cover up to twenty thousand dollars of your medical expenses for any injury that you have. Wow! And I wish I'd known about this at the beginning of my injury because I've spent so much money on PT and X-rays and stuff. But now that I finally signed up for this, I'm going to go get my MRI because it will be free. That's amazing! Wow, good plug. (laughs) It Um, wasn't even. That's just genuinely (laughs) a tip that I learned about. No, I think athletes will actually find that quite interesting. That's good. That's good. That's good. well, thank you, Abby. This is amazing. Thank you again. I think this is actually like a very good quality conversation. about.